Shut up and sit down. Welcome to another episode of the Superhero Movie Club, a community of superhero movie fans. All nerds welcome, but please wipe your feet at the door. I'm your comic book cultured host, Michael Maurer, joined by the movie maestro, James Skyler Houtsma, and the scientific scholar, Matt Anderson. SHMC is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week, we continue our journey exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movies differently, so we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the movie. Whether it's money, comic books, the carpenters, music, or science, SHMC talks about it all in this week's episode. You almost kill yourself on the highway so you can ask me out and then you don't show. Then you keep my picture, but when I kiss you, you try to shove me out the door. What's, what's going on? Don't you care about me at all, Johnny? <laughs> You know you can talk to me. You can tell me anything. Please. You wouldn't believe me anyway. Try me. I sold my soul to the devil. Mm-hmm. And now I have to spare you. Spare me from what? The devil. On account I work for him. That's why I couldn't make it to dinner. Because you were working for the devil? Yeah. I'm his bounty hunter. But it only happens at night. Like it is right now. So tonight, you'll... I believe so. Uh, Which is why it's probably a very good idea that you... You run on home now. Ghost Rider. And yes, there will be spoilers. Okay, and I'll start us off. I did manage to sit through this with commentary from uh, Mark Steven Jackson as well as uh, the, the, the special effects coordinator of the movie, which rewatching this movie, you realize like 50, 60% of it is CGI just by its nature. Uh, and it's not terrible CGI. It's certainly not the best. If there's one thing Ghost Rider 2 has over Ghost Rider 1 is that those effects got way better. And But to say about Ghost Rider 1, the biggest, like, you, you could say it's a good movie, you could say it's a bad movie. A lot of people will say it's a bad movie. Uh, and I, I, will, I will side with that simply because it's very bland. Not a whole lot happens that's exciting or new um you could see the villain's demise coming a mile away and you still were rooting for him not to be that dumb but he was and so and the like there's no giant spectacular act acting outside of you know peter fonta did a great job but he was only in for about two scenes and nicholas cage did his usual nicholas cage thing but and it's just Specifically, there's not a whole lot to talk about because I was really waiting for this movie to get over when I started watching it again. That's how I how I really felt about it. I was so excited for this movie when I was when I was a teenager, and then seeing it again, I just sort of sigh and grunt like an old man. But tell me what you thought, Skyler. Uh, Ghost Rider is a prime example of the pre-Dark Knight days when. Uh, producers would approach superhero movies, especially the B-list ones, by just uh, pretty much using the approach of, hey, let's just get the thing on screen, make it look cool, supposedly, cast the check, go get a drink, whatever. And it shows. Uh, Ghost Rider's not a particularly good movie. Some pretty bad performances, looks like crap, but you kind of hit hit it there just by saying how dull it is. It's toothless. It has no bite to it. You have a movie where the main character is a demonic bike rider whose skull bursts into flames and he <clears throat> takes on all these do- demonic creatures and the most reaction you get out of it is eh, whatever. So yeah, I think that's its biggest failing. And I agree with both of you. Remember when I watched Ghost Rider 2, I was like, wow, this is kind of really bad. 
And now that I watch Ghost Rider 1, I'm like, man, Ghost Rider 2 is pretty good because the action was exciting. There's a lot more Nick Cage doing his Nick Cage thing. There still wasn't enough in that movie either, but there's even less here. And those are the best parts of Ghost Rider 2. And I don't know, I did not watch all of this. I skipped about 20 minutes in the middle of it because I was like, okay, let's just go to the end where there's going to be the big exciting action scene. And it was still just people I didn't know who they were, and I didn't really care talking about stuff that I didn't really care about. And I said, wow, okay, nothing happened in those 20 minutes. So that tells me everything I really need to know to form my opinion, which is not, I'm not going to watch this ever again. (laughs) Well, comparing this, uh, comparing the first Ghost Rider to the second, like you could say the action in two was much more exciting. It's definitely a, a bit more modern film, but the first one had a plot you could follow. It's a dumb action movie. I don't care about the plot. Yeah. There was yeah. too much plot in Ghost Rider. You yeah, know? You, it's true. There was a whole lot of exposition dump at the beginning, uh, which is – if you're going to do an exposition dump, that's the place to put it, I suppose, is right at the start and not with an animated opening. The Purge of Ghost Rider 2 or the, the Bane of Ghost Rider 2. <laughs> My argument as far as Ghost Rider 1 versus 2 has always been, especially in context of why I would, if put a gun was put to my head, put choose 2 over 1, is that I enjoyed the interestingness of Ghost Rider 2, rare as it may be, as opposed to the continual lameness of the first one. All right. Well, let's talk about if that lameness paid out. Such as uh, since you know this Ghost Rider uh, was made in this 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 mid 2000s era of putting as many superhero movies on screen because Spider Man and X Men were such hits, so they felt they could just cash in on this bubble if they owned the rights to a property like Ghost Rider, but you know with a giving it a little production budget of $110 million, what did it put out? Well, for $110 million, I'd say it's got its money back because its domestic gross was $115.8 million. Elsewhere, it pulled in $112.9 million for a, a, a grand total of $228.7 million. So I'd say that was some, uh, some change in their pocket at the end of the day. It's enough to warrant a sequel? I guess. Um, That's, yeah, it's obviously not Spider-Man or X-Men numbers, but yes, indeed, it it did indeed bring about a sequel five years later. Which which the sequel bombed, right? We talked about this, didn't we? Uh, Yeah, I think it it, it did not do well. It made, it had half the budget, I think, of, it, it had a much smaller budget than the first movie, and it made about, I think, a little bit lower numbers, somewhere in the 200 million range, which is not considered successful where it should be since it's a sequel. Right. I think by that point, people kind of caught on to the the general trend of the Ghost Rider movies. Fool me once, if you will. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I had, we're a little. <laughs> we're feeling a little low energy because there's there's so little to talk about with this movie. It almost doesn't warrant 40 minutes of our time. <laughs> uh, the sooner we get to drinking games, the better. Oh yes. Drinking uh, game rules. Yeah. The, the well, the thing about this is this is this is move. This movie was just it's perfect for like a 13 year old boy. I think like because that's when I saw it, and I thought this movie was awesome when when I first saw it as a wee lad. But but as an adult with perspective and standards for movies that really aren't deserved, <laughs> you just you throw this movie into the dirt. <laughs> I will admit that when I first saw this when I was fifteen, I was yeah, it's like oh, it's cool, it's Ghost Rider. He's He's got a flaming skull, I guess. And then with every subsequent watch, it was like, oh, God, what have I done? What? When did I like this? Oh, all right, so let's let's talk about some comic book characters, about some, some elements that director Marvin, uh, Mark Stephen Jackson uh, drew from when he also wrote the movie. So the plot of the movie mostly revolves around the origin 
of Ghost Rider at the very like the very first comic, he the Johnny Blaze origin, which was Marvel Spotlight number five, and that's just uh, the 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 first 10, 15 minutes of the movie are pretty much that comic book modified for a film sort of plot. So some characters I want to discuss uh, start with Barton Blaze, uh, Johnny's dad, who of course came about in the Marvel Spotlight number 5 comic in 1972 by Gary Friedrich, Mike Plug, and Roy Thomas. And he died in a motorcycle accident. But the thing about that, much like that happened in the movie, but the thing about it was he died when Johnny was a boy, and this led to Johnny being adopted by the Simpsons, Roxanne, Crash, and Mona. Uh, and he eventually developed a relationship with Roxanne, a, a sort of weird stepsister, you know, Barry Allen, still attracted to Iris West if you're watching the Flash TV show. Crash and Mona become Johnny's adoptive parents, and it's actually Crash Simpson that is the one that develops cancer, and so Johnny and Roxanne dig in deep into occult books, because that's just what the kids did when they had problems, and they summon Satan to make a deal with him, so Johnny sells his soul to Satan in order to save Crash from his cancer. Well, he saves him from his cancer, but then Crash also dies in a stunt motorcycle accident, very similar, almost exactly to what we see in the movie, because the devil promised, oh no, he's fine from cancer, but all the other stuff? Mm-mm, didn't say a word. Then the devil comes and tries to collect Johnny's soul, but Roxanne chases him away because she knows enough about a cult to do that. And it's, uh, it's, it's good to see that they drew a, a, a somewhat capable female character back in the 70s. The next character I want to talk about is the caretaker, a.k.a. Carter Slade. And this is technically the first Ghost Rider. Uh, he, Carter Slade premiered in Ghost Rider number one in 1967. This is before Ghost Rider had his own sort of long-running title. This was sort of just more of a one-shot. Um, and if you go back even further, there was a character known as the Phantom Rider, that all of this Ghost Rider stuff was based on, and that premiered in 1949, back in a comic book called Tim Holt Number 11, when westerns were the big thing in comics. And what's weird is that so they retcon Carter Slade as the first Ghost Rider, but then they change it to what is known as they change him from a Ghost Rider, and then they call him a Knight Rider. But then they realize too late. Knight Riders were the names of the horsemen in the Ku Klux Klan uh, that would perform raids. Oh, That's no. <laughs> so they went, oh, crap, we can't do that. So they changed him to back to the Phantom Rider, at the Phantom Rider at the very beginning. It was like, we're just going to call him the first Phantom Rider. And then they go, no, we already had a Phantom Rider. Uh, he's the first Ghost Rider. So... Carter Slade's got a mixed-up thing, and even in the even in the movie, you didn't really get a feel for what Sam Elliott's big purpose was because it was supposed to be a mentor, but he didn't do a whole lot of mentoring. And when the final came about, or, I'm sorry, when the final fight came about at the end, he just he just left. He just he, he ghost ridered out and then left. What was the point of you riding with him to was is Santanaga? Where the hell was that? San San Vizana? <laughs> oh. <laughs> they just needed a, a really quote unquote badass montage where they ride to Ghost Riders in the sky, and then <laughs> so, he just had to peace out. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get what he had to peace out. Uh, next character is Mephisto, Peter Fonda's character, or Mephistopheles, also known as the Devil. And, but but more specifically known as Mephisto in the Marvel Universe. He premiered in Silver Surfer number 3 in 1968 uh, by Stan Lee and John Buscema. And originally, Mephisto was just a demonic villain that tortured Silver Surfer. He was the Silver Surfer's antagonist. But over time, Mephisto develops into this, this villain that is the, the broker of death in the Marvel Universe. When a character dies, 
heroes go and try and make a deal with Mephisto. Uh, the first deal that Johnny Blaze made in his origin comic book was originally not supposed to be with Mephisto. It was supposed to be with actually Satan. But in the future, they retconned it so that Mephisto was the one disguised as Satan buying Johnny's soul from him. So Ghost Rider stuff can get really befuddled. Um, but but Mephisto is a big baddie in the Marvel Universe. He's been known for holding the soul of Doom's mother, uh, absorbing the souls of Scarlet Witch's children, and most famously bringing Aunt May back to life at the price of Peter Parker's marriage with Mary Jane. The reviled one day more storyline. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> first of all, Aunt May is dead, and yes, she bought... She bit a bullet for Peter, but she's so old. I mean, and and Peter sells his marriage, which means he completely forgot about his relationship with Mary Jane. He sells that love to Mephisto, which what kind of demon asks for that? Okay, I guess it was compelling story or not, but but that's what Mephisto is known for. He just does some messed up stuff whenever we need to change some storylines. He comes in and fuddles with the continuity of Marvel every once in a while just because of his ability to alter life and death. All right, so let's move on to the next character, Blackheart, premiering in a Daredevil comic book, number 270, in 1989 by Anne Nocenti and John Ramada Jr., Blackheart is the devil's son made out of the power of evil. He in his in his first story plot, his main purpose was to try to tempt heroes like Daredevil and Spider-Man into committing deep dark evils, you know, make them feel guilty for the rest of their lives. But they resisted him like heroes do, and this made him impressed and develop he developed the belief that evil could never triumph over good. Because good was too strong. But since he's Mephisto's son, Mephisto was like, oh, no son of mine is going to have that sort of belief. You're a demon, doucheweed. Uh, you're going to follow in the family footsteps. So he banished him to Earth, and with the promise if Blackheart ever tried to use his powers, he would go mad. So what happens? Well, we need another villain, so Blackheart tried to use his powers, and he went insane. And now he's a deep, dark villain again. Thank you, comic books. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, the the second to last big character I want to talk about, Roxanne Simpson, premiering in that wonderful origin story of Marvel Spotlight number five. If you ever want to talk about Ghost Rider, that's where a lot of the lore began. Uh, and she is a she's I've talked about earlier being the adoptive half sister of Johnny, where they eventually grew to to fall in love together. You know your ethics or morals being what they will, and if that was an appropriate relationship. Uh, but then when the devil comes to claim Johnny's soul after Crush's death, Roxanne drives Satan away with her knowledge of the occult, and eventually then Johnny becomes the Ghost Rider. Uh, because his soul is still sold to the devil and bound to a demon known as Zarathos. I talked about that in detail in Ghost Rider 2, so I'm not going to talk about it now. Eventually, he hands off the Ghost Rider mantle to Danny Ketch, and that allows him to marry Roxanne. Uh, but then Roxanne loses her memory through a convoluted storyline and becomes a villain known as the Black Rose. And then after that... Before She doesn't even get her memory back, but after the whole she's a villain storyline peters out, she marries Johnny again, but with no previous knowledge of the first marriage. So I guess it's sort of a destiny thing. And finally, the last character is Johnny Blaze, the Ghost Rider. The one Ghost Rider that, that uh, probably the most popular Ghost Rider uh, of, of through the 70s and 80s. I could talk about a lot of stuff Ghost Rider's done, but I'm just going to talk about the purpose of the character. He was a, He's a leather jacket-wearing skeleton with a flaming head who rides a motorcycle. His weapons of choice are chains, hellfire, and a super-powered stared. The whole purpose of this character is adolescent wish fulfillment. 
I mean, he was originally made to be a, a villain for, I think, Daredevil? I'll have to double-check on that. That's not right. He was originally made to be a, a sort of one-shot villain known as, like, the stunt cyclist or something. But 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 then they're like, that's such a great idea. That'll sell so many comic books. A, a flaming skull-headed motorcycle rider. We're going to give it its own title. And then we're going to retcon it with a previous story about Phantom Riders to make it more confusing for our comic book fans. And that's all. I mean, Ghost Rider has never really had one big storyline that's compelling, that's known. With Daredevil, you at least get like stories like Guardian Devil or, oh my god, Skyler, help me out here. What's the big one by Frank Miller? Born Again. Yes. The, the Born Again, that's a big one. With Spider-Man, you have countless storylines that were just epic. The Venom suit being one, we talked about that recently. And, but with with Ghost Rider, there's nothing even a comic book fan who, in passing, can really zero in on. So a lot of his stories are just him beating up demons. There are a couple of writers that tried to create stories where, where because of his nature, he deals with, with demons and angels. They tried to have him explore religion and its purposes and his role in it as a demonic bounty hunter. Uh, but those stories got watered down by editors because they were too controversial. So in the end, we have to accept that Ghost Rider is just a badass. That's all he was made to be. It's not, it's not much deeper than that. He just looks really cool. And if you're a teenage boy, like like I was, I used to think Ghost Rider was one of the coolest dudes out there. But eventually you want more out of your story than just flashy fire and skulls. And he doesn't provide. So that's all I got to talk about with the comic book section. Skyler, send me off with some surly tunes. Some surly tunes indeed. All right, music for Ghost Rider. The first one is done by... A chap known as Christopher Young, who we recently talked about as having done the music for Spider-Man 3. Um, this time around, uh, Christopher Young, his music combines the gothic religious aspects of the whole demonology thing. So, basically when I say that, I mean lots of huge uh, choruses. Are we going to get some and Gregorian chants? Oh yes, we are. Right down the line. Uh, And then it mixes that in with the old Southwest kind of sounds you might expect with a town called San Venganza. So first of all, let's take a quick listen at the main theme, which is Ghost Rider. guess it's good music. <laughs> um, it's just not distinctive. Right. Um, Ghost Rider and Ghost Rider 2. Very different movies. Uh, the music for Ghost Rider and Ghost Rider 2. Very different music. Worlds um, apart. <laughs> right. Go, go and listen exactly. to our Ghost Rider 2 episode if you have not yet. And, and just listen to the music section because there are some phenomenal uh, <laughs> maybe phenomenal is the wrong word. Uh, uh, ben, help me out here. How would you describe the music to Ghost Rider 2 Spirit of Vengeance? <laughs> Fucking badass balls to the walls. <laughs> it's, it's so it's good. very much what it was. It's uh, so good. I, I, again, I don't know if good is the right word either. It's it's very special. It's very attuned to, to its own thing. Whereas this is like, this is Christopher Young. I mean, I, I can hear it, mostly because we're so close to uh, to Spider-Man 3 with our recording here. No, there's definitely a lot of, you know, connective tissue between the two. 
Marvel characters at Sony, duh. Um, he probably wrote the scores for both of them within a yeah, four to five month period, so that can kind of bleed over as well. And his whole sound is distinctively his in that it's big operatic music, oftentimes got the choir going and yeah. uh, the low instruments as well. So Yeah, there's a lot of chorus um, and brass. I gotta say, the Ghost Rider 2 soundtrack uh, felt more in keeping with the tone of Ghost Rider, i.e., the sound of adolescent wish fulfillment and just <laughs> badassness should be heavy metal guitars. Scott, we'll take us into our next track. What are we talking about here? Right, the next track is titled The West Was Built on Legend, and it accompanies uh, the scene of Johnny's first transformation into the Ghost Rider, a.k.a. the Nicolas Cage <laughs> Showcase. was that? I mean, I didn't get a feel of any of that in any scene in the movie. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad music. Christopher Young is very good at putting together songs, of course. But in terms of, like, that that sound and what was being put on screen, I see no synergy. I cannot recall a single musical moment from this movie at all. I remember the spider bite. Uh, spider bait cover of Ghost Riders in the Sky, and we'll play that song at the end. But and I remember that being a really cool scene because it's two dudes with flaming skeleton vessels shooting across the desert landscape. Well, again, not really cool for the plot or anything. Just that one moment is just kind of fun to look at. And then you have all of this. Like, no, nothing takes place in a church. And that's and that's what I'm getting. It's just like I feel as if there should have been way more religious over and undertones. This this is the score for Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. Sorry we're hijacking your section here, Skylar. We've yeah, just no got sure. so much to say about this 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 topic. So movie scores can they can either elevate a bad movie perform online with a good or bad movie or sync a good movie. This, I think from what you guys are saying, it sounds like there are some uh, key uh, different views on both the director's approach to this material and the composer's. Entirely possible. Music itself, I, it's not bad, um, but if it doesn't line up with what you guys are seeing on screen, that's perfectly understandable as well. Well, I'm expecting yeah, I'm expecting more more I want the sound of a motorcycle. Um I want uh maybe some chains rustling. Uh what I what I what I'm getting is hunchback of Notre Dame. Ben's right. That's what we're getting. We're getting this hunchback. Just like the movie this lines up perfectly with that um the olden days superhero score where it's like just make it sound superheroic and whatever. With a it, hint of demonic, I guess. The score feels right. perfunctory. Like, oh shit, we need a score for this movie. Uh, okay. Christopher Young can do one pretty quick. Let's get him on the job. He he's inexpensive. Uh, is he? Is he? <laughs> we, we already blew our entire budget deciding to not finish these special effects. So. I think whoever they got to compose Ghost Rider Two was inexpensive. But they put their heart into it. <laughs> and, you know, cared. All right. Uh, what's the last track, Skylar? I'm so sorry. We're, we're, so, we're so upset with this music. Right, you need to clearly. Guide us like a shepherd. No, I, what you guys need is some tissues and, you know, a little therapy time for this movie score that just didn't fit your 
didn't pan out the way you think it was gonna. No. Uh, last track. Is, uh, Tissues and therapy San- time. Last track is San Venganza, uh, which is uh, the example of the old West Mex uh, type of uh, music I was referencing earlier. Trumpets, a little bit of guitar strumming, the works. Let's take a listen. This is a redemptive piece of music you've picked out for us because this was played during the showdown scene, right? When Johnny rolls into town on his motorcycle and he's about to face off Blackheart and San Van Gaza, Gonza. Pretty sure it was. Yeah. I mean, that's the only place it lined up thematically. Cause so. it, this is showdown music and this is definitely a showdown scene that we got before it turned into Whatever that final scene was supposed to be. In an anticlimactic non-fight. Oh, yeah, that. Well, he shot him. That, 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 that transforming his shotgun into a pretty awesome Ghost Rider shotgun was neat. But that was about three seconds of the 15 minutes that needed to be fulfilled with cooler stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> Only acceptable for 13-year-old boys. But no, I mean, this is a, this is a kind of sound that with what was going on screen. It's discount Miles Davis sketches the Spain. <laughs> yeah. But okay. uh, San Vengaza is Spanish for Saint Vengaza. Uh-huh. Whoa, who would have you seen that? The more you know. Well, and to be fair, I don't think many of the people watching Ghost Rider even know what uh, that Miles Davis tune you're referencing is is so... Uh, it's the name of the album. Okay. He's, he's the king of jazz, man. You know, just look it up. <laughs> yes, leaving the theater after that scene. I'm going to look, go look up this Miles Davis album. That's what I did after I watched this. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you are not the normal audience for this. I made myself a cup of tea and curled up with a book. <laughs> Popped in the song So What for the next nine minutes. No, um, actually, it was uh, The Birth of Cool, or that Birth works. of the Cool. That works, too. Okay, any more music to discuss on Ghost Rider? No, not really. All right, I guess those were your final words. Uh, right. Moving on, no. then. <laughs> My final word should be anything I say is just going to be shit on, so whatever. Uh, what? Yeah, what fuck you. What about? What is <laughs> this? We're and crapping yet, on the movie, dude. And yet this is the music to Ghost Rider, so I really shouldn't care at all so not, i'll take that we've agreed with your opinions we've just vocated them more strongly because we were way more offended because <laughs> we have yeah i don't know why uh because we because uh because we we liked this movie dude when we first saw it we were the perfect age for this movie when it came out, saw it in theaters and went, damn, that's cool. But now here we are, seven, eight years later, looking back at Ghost Rider and going, man, we were kids. And this was made for us kids. And we can't like it now uh, just because of how our tastes have matured. Um, and it, for some reason, it makes us feel a little dead inside, I think. Makes in me the feel words, a little dead side. In the words of Kurt Cobain, uh, from the first track of In Utero, teenage angst has paid off well. Now I'm old and bored. And that's how I feel about this movie. Yeah. This song, this movie could have done a lot more with Nirvana, I think. Well, just the In Utero album. Not, <laughs> not Nevermind or the other one. <laughs> okay. Uh, so let's move on. 
and, and, and to the science section. So have fun, Ben. I sure hope you've researched, uh, done your fair amount here, because we're going to be coming at you with some obscure crap that I just thought about when watching the movie. Yeah, that sounds good. All right, so first of all, Ghost Rider has a flaming motorcycle. Yes, we recognize motorcycles can't be on fire, but if we tried it, how long would it work? Okay, so to ignite a tire, I looked this up. To ignite a tire, they don't ignite easily because basically tires are rubber, which are really, really, you know, they're just really long chains of hydrocarbons. And so to get them to combust, you have to heat them up. And to start a tire fire, you have to keep it above 400 degrees for a few hours or more. Jeez. Um, But once you light it on fire, tires are extremely hard to put out. They have a low thermal conductivity, which is part of why you have to heat them up for so long before they combust. Uh, But it also means it's really hard to cool them down, too. Yeah, tire fires can last potentially decades. What? There, there, there have been records of like, the I mean, and these are like collections of millions of tires in like a dump or something. Uh huh. But yeah, they can go years. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So, is a tire still usable when it's on fire? Oh God, no. I would assume so. It, it, it uh, you're, you're leaving rubber. Melted rubber, does the friction add to it? So to the point where, where you would just get stuck? I mean, it, okay, the, the problem with using, like, using a tire that's actively burning uh, is that they, the fumes from that are real toxic. <laughs> okay. Like worse than normal fire. Like, they, that, like a, a tire fire is like an environmental catastrophe. But say you don't have lungs because you're a skeleton. Okay. Then you're fine? I guess. You're also <laughs> dead because you don't have lungs. But you're being held together by a demonic force. Okay, then you're magic. Then you can do whatever you want. Oh, fair enough. All right, speaking of magic, uh, the next topic is I want to talk about what does it take for a motorcycle to run up a building? Can a motorcycle go 90 degrees? I mean, no. That I honestly, I did not finish this movie because that scene happened, and I was like, no, 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 and I turned it off. Oh well, come on, that's just fantasy land. We 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 know Ghost Rider's is, his motorcycle is magic, so it's just Certain, doing everything. It takes the magic to, I mean, to if you if you were going you're, fast enough. Se- okay, so not really because your your center of gravity is like too far back. You'd start leaning. You couldn't lean forward to get your wheels to go on the wall. Mm-hmm. You know, so you would fall over backwards. Makes sense. Yeah. So no physics there. No. All right. Finally, one more topic I want to talk about then, and mm-hmm. it's the big one, which yep. is stunt cycling. All right. You, you need to go to town on the physics of stunt cycling. I'm talking how in-depth are the calculations that go into stunt jumps. Um, how much do they test the jump before they do an actual performance? I mean, does, does what's, the, what's the current record? Is it like 35 buses or semis? Does, oh. Did they ever do a helicopter jump? I do not know the world record, but I will tell you that um, the problem basically boils down to you have a ramp, it's at a certain angle, when your bike's going to be at a certain angle when you leave it, you want to go a certain distance, and you have to be above a certain height when you reach that distance. And basically, you just have to figure out how fast you need to be going off the end of the ramp. And that is a problem that any first-year physics student could solve. Oh, really? So This, this is high school physics. Because it's, it's, it's literally like the diagrams they put in textbooks. It's projectile motion, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, well, I mean, vectors. Yeah, it's it's vector projectile motion. This it's high school, first year of college physics. Yeah, the you know the physics that I failed in high school and dropped out of. Yeah, the physics that I took and then liked it so much that I took AP physics. <laughs> oh, but, with Michael on that one. Yeah, no, it's 
Uh, I'm and and obviously they're gonna like be real careful, but it's not a hard problem to solve. I mean, the, do, I, do they do tests? Do you know? Do, I, I would assume they don't just wing it like he did in the movie. Like, all right, we're just gonna go. I mean, I assume you kind of like practice. All right, what's the what's the world record? I'll I'll pause if you need to look it up. It's a simple Google search. Uh, according to World Record Academy, the longest motorcycle jump is oh hold on here's one longer from ESPN. Uh, in 2012, Alex Harville uh, jumped a motorcycle 425 feet. So a one and one third of a football field. Approximately. Holy cow, though, really a long distance for a motorcycle to be in the air. Did he do yeah. it over a certain amount of uh, motor vehicles? No. No, it doesn't look like it. He just jumped that far. Okay. And I mean, uh, he was going into the wind <laughs> when he did that. So if he had been going with the wind... <laughs> like, I'm, I'm reading the article on ESPN now. Then he'd be a ghost rider in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ooh, basically, if good. he had been, if he had, if he had a headwind, uh, they estimate he could have hit a top speed of 108 miles an hour, um, oh. which would have taken him between like 460 to 470 feet. Oh my gosh! But Evil Knievel is just like, man, what did I do for a living? He, I, he was. I, I, it doesn't explicitly say, state anywhere that he was the inspiration for Ghost Rider, but I think it's kind of safe to assume. I mean, when did Evil Knievel start becoming famous? Was it the early seventies? Um, uh, he did, his debut was in the mid sixties. Yep. All right, that makes sense. There, okay. there was definitely a lot of Evil Knievel influence, especially in the beginning. Oh yeah. I mean, he's the only name attached to stunt cycling. He's the name. He's the motorcyclist that everyone knows. Yeah, I mean, the only other one—that's simply because I was a kid of of the early two thousands. Travis Pastrana, uh, and and he he was a racer. Now he's more of a stunt cyclist. Um, oh, the other thing I want to talk about uh, in the science-wise in this movie is uh, a couple of weeks ago we talked about on uh, under the red hood, and mm-hmm. we talked about Nas, and then they mentioned it in this movie. If we had just like held back a little <laughs> patient there, then we would have had even less to talk about in Under the Red Hood, science-wise. Yeah, I guess <laughs> we would have had to talk about how long does it take a person to get beat by a crowbar before they die. Depends on how hard you hit them. Yeah. See, you're already thinking critically. Okay. So let's move on. To uh, let's skip over fun facts because I highly doubt any of you have any. Nothing was fun. <laughs> um, other than this movie was filmed primarily in Australia. That's all I have. Oh, this is also by the director of Daredevil, who is from Minnesota. Yes. Oh, that's right. I was gonna say that he's from Hastings. That's so, right. So um, we get to claim Mark Stephen Jackson as our own. And his last name is Johnston. Thank you. Damn it. Have I been saying Jackson this whole time? Yes, I was just finding the right place to tell you. Um, actually... Why did you wait 40 minutes in? Now we're going to have fans who do not listen to the full episode berate me (laughs) because I'm an idiot. Skyler's the idiot. He should have known better. (laughs) Just just take out every Jackson. Just say Mark Steven. Mark Steven. Uh, Yeah, right. I think Steven Jackson, because of the running back for the St. Louis Rams, he's not even the running back anymore. But anyway, he, he's from – so we get him and we get Chris Pratt. Uh, we get Winona Ryder and Vince Vaughn. Prince. Uh, Jesse oh. Ventura. Oh. Man, we, we, can, we can put Jesse Ventura back away in that little storage shed we Mark left. Mark off. In. Let's talk about drinking rules. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. This is the section of the podcast where we discuss the drinking rules you should have if you ever watch this movie with your friends or by yourself if you ever want to play a fun game because it's just rules we made up due to beef. The only reason we had... you should watch this movie is if you're getting drunk. 
honestly, I kind of want to rewatch it with you guys with these drinking rules. Uh, let's see, who wants to start us out? I'll take the second because it's the only one I could think of. Okay. Uh, all right then. Uh, you're gonna if you want to get really if you're gonna play in hard mode of this drinking game, you're gonna want to drink every time you notice a green screen or a too obvious CGI effect, barring all of Ghost Rider because I don't want to kill you. Uh, you should also drink every time a motorcycle goes airborne. Got to drink through the whole thing too. Each no, time. No, just one like, drink. Just one, just one little drink. One. Okay. When it goes airborne, take a sip. Because <laughs> otherwise, again, we might kill you with these rules. Shotgun a beer during the infamous Nick Cage CGI ab scene, and yes, they were CGI. I listened to the. Now I wrote it down here. They weren't because I listened to the commentary, and Mark Stephen Johnson, as well as the CGI special effects director, both stated there was no computer-generated enhancement used in that scene. Nicolas Cage was just in that grade of shape. Look at him. He looks like a '90s wrestling doll dipped in oil. I, you can, he is a wrestling do, doll. <laughs> did dipped you, in oil. It, it, they did the same thing in 300. You just need really good makeup, and anyone can look like they have abs. It, it's not necessarily computer-generated or enhanced, but it was definitely, like, outlined. <laughs> <laughs> you, buy, you buy the Ab Aber 5000? Nonetheless, take a shotgun for that scene. You just you just gotta, because it's kind of ridiculous. Because he makes funny faces in a mirror for five minutes. Um, take a drink for every scene with gratuitous Eva uh, Eva Mendez cleavage. <laughs> uh, take a shot when you realize the goth chick in the newscast scene will be everywhere in five years after this movie came out because that is Rebel Wilson from the Pitch Perfect movies. <laughs> And maybe five years after this podcast, this rule will be very irrelevant. <laughs> One can hope. Um, make a make a friend drink every time you can spot any Judeo-Christian imagery before they do. Uh, and that includes any mention of Satan, God, angels, or devils. Whenever Nick Cage has his weird, like, wacky Nick Cage freakout scenes that are the best part of any Nick Cage movie, just drink through those. You just, because you just, you don't want to look at them. You just got to make sure everybody else is drinking through them because that's what you need. And whenever Nick Cage dramatically points at the screen and growls, you, everyone picks a person to take a shot. Finish the bottle when you realize they made another one of these. <laughs> and then you also have to realize it might have been a little better. <laughs> because you watched the second one first. <laughs> second one's pretty good. In uh, hindsight. In, well, Comparatively. For, for for us. For for us, I think. Because we appreciate what it tried more what it tried to do um because it, it didn't try to be an action movie um that like had a plot and was meant to be like a diehard of superhero movies it tried to be crank of crank super high movies. voltage yes uh, mostly because it was made by the same people, but still, like, there's no, there's very few action movies you can really tie to Ghost Rider 2 other than movies like Crank. This yeah, movie like, failed because it had tried to have a plot. <laughs> That's so sad. Yeah, the whole, like, drawing point for Ghost Rider 2 was like, oh, hey, Neville Dean Taylor shot these, uh, these action scenes on high-speed roller skates as opposed to, oh, wow, this movie has a really good story. Oh, I love I love how we we just get so bored with this first one that we just got to talk about how much we got, how excited we got when we talked about the second one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Looks like that's going to wrap it up today, super fans. Superhero Movie Club is recorded and produced by Triop Cop Productions. If you like what you hear, show us your support by rating us on iTunes. You know, 
we haven't got a new rating since like June, and I've been saying this every week for God knows since June at least. God knows how long. And I don't. What's it take, guys? I can't give you money over over the internet. Uh, first of all, I don't have it. Second, I don't know how to do it. What's What's it take to motivate you to just if if we know you're out there, we know you listen to the show, rate it on iTunes. Damn it. That's all you gotta do. That's, Michael, be nice to our fans. Don't swear at them. I'm sorry. You're absolutely right. We love you, and we love you for 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 listening to us. We just, it's 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 like when you do something for someone for a long time, and then you realize that they really haven't said thank you in a while, just because they've been expecting it. That's just how I feel a little bit right now. You know, I've been I've been I've been cooking you dinner, and you've just been eating it. And you haven't said anything to me. I just want you to just just say thank you. That's all you get. That's all you have to write in the iTunes review. It's just, hey man, cool show. That's it. And I'll and I'll go. You know what? You the best. We're gonna keep doing this for free, as always. <sighs> Rant over. Also free is a continuing discussion on any episode that we've posted on our subreddit. Also free, except maybe not in the. Uh the way of the soul, SHMC has an active Twitter feed at SuperheroMC. Uh, keep up to date with us there. Send us your questions. Have a party, people. <laughs> oh, you guys are so good at, at plugging our social media. <laughs> yes. I, so good. I know. I got, I got so somber and, and mad. <laughs> All right. Looks like that'll do it today. I'm your host, Michael Maurer. James Schuyler Houtsma. And Ben Anderson. <gasps> the pause is back. <laughs> well, the outline always says Ben, but it felt weird. Uh, you can write it in, damn it. You don't have to follow the outline strictly. We never well, do. Well, <laughs> All right. I'm very sleepy. Have, it's past my bedtime. Have yourselves a merry little super week, everybody. 